This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Best and brightest, we're only two seconds in. Already we have a reason to be grateful. I look at the monitor and I see that Shamu Green is on Fox. I once was at my great objection moments thereafter uh, and remedied uh, by my complaint that I would never, I'd quit the network, I would never be on again if they matched me with anyone of that caliber ever again. Shamu Green Uh, You either know her or don't. I'm virtually certain you don't. There's a reason you don't. But Shamu Green is somehow on Fox right now. And what we have to be grateful for is that no matter how I suck today, you've got me instead of Shamu Green. In fact, I remember ending the last segment I ever did with Shamu Green by saying, Shamu This was a biblical experience. I now know what it is to be smitten by the jawbone of an ass. Excelsior! and brightest welcome back i'm i'm just uh chuckling and thankful myself uh because uh skip and i were just talking skipper's at the controls today which is uh appropriate given his moniker and uh it's good to have him at the controls and you know for people who don't know you know it's like any business if it's not your business there are quirks of the business that that for obvious reasons we don't know about if we're not in that business and 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 uh, for radio i would say you know behind the scenes the things that happen not directly on microphone but <clears throat> just like next in the chain of command i think you would be astonished to learn how little goes on in the studio that contributes to the show <laughs> Kidding! I'm kidding. I'm, I, I, Skip is my rock, <clears throat> and uh, I don't think I can go on because I could become emotional. Uh, you want you want the poli- you want politics today? Do you want the fish special? I, I'm Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, the numbers one triple eight. 900-3393. And all I mean to insinuate by that sound effect, of course, is that time marches on. We are all time's servant, are we not? 
I again will not give you the Twitter number because I, I, I can't get Twitter. I am in my 48th hour or so. Uh, not witless, but twitless. And it's killing me, and I can't do anything about it. But <clears throat> I hope to be up for the weekend because I'm very active. If you're a partner with us on Twitter, you know that I go wild on the weekends. And this weekend will be no exception. Uh, if if I get, you know, retrofitted and suited up and checked out and relaunched and ready to go here. So uh, I have left in the hands of my faithful concierge, uh, Rocky, and uh, Sir Rocky, and his lieutenants, uh, all such dealings as may as 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 may take place via Twitter, you know, or the web, because I just don't. I'm just webless, and it's uh, it's uh, weird. But <clears throat> thank you for being here. And again today, if you wish to comment uh, extemporaneously, then there is only one way. There are two ways to do it. Uh, you can call one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three, or you can start screaming out loud to me or at me wherever you are. Now, that has, I admit, certain therapeutic advantages. I enjoy doing it, and I, I do it habitually. Uh, but not at myself. I'm not quite there yet. I, I scream at other people. But again, certain therapeutic benefits beyond question. However, one of the benefits, therapeutic or otherwise, does not include interaction. So no matter how loud you scream to me or at me, we won't hear you. But if you call one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three, we shall. <coughs> Pardon me. All right, I'm going to do. I'm going to start with an Olympic update because when we do the Olympics, as you know, it's never really the Olympics. I mean, we never actually talk about sport. We talk about the sociological, the cultural, the political phenomenon that is the Olympic Games, and it most certainly is all of those things. So, you know, I, I've never been to you a false messenger, that is to say, claim to speak on matters of which I am uh, knowingly ignorant. I'm not going to start now. But we're going to start with an Olympic update, and I've decided, <clears throat> I've thought about this. I didn't bury anything. I didn't hide anything. This the, the, the following thought I'm about to express, which is the single most significant thought on this election I have ever expressed to you. Or, well, I'll let it go at that. I think what I'm about to, I, I think my utterance seconds from now is probably the most significant 
I've proffered uh, maybe, well, ever in the context of this election. Okay? And I have a lot, as you know, I, I prefer to build a case. I don't like to just dump the last page of a book. I always feel like saying, and in conclusion, I've never believed in starting my message with, and in conclusion. I don't believe in it. I believe in building a case because bright people prefer that. Bright people would like to hear some of the factors contributory to your opinion. And then finally you say, and based on what I've just said, I reached the following conclusion. Today, in observance of my profound respect and love for you and for this job, and for a number of other reasons, I'm going to do what I've never before done. I'm going to start with the last page of the novel. I'm going to start with, and alas, the butler did it, in the third floor billiard room. Bludgeoned he did. Poor old Mrs. Smythe Winkley into a coma with an ordinary pool cue. The end. Okay, so I, rather than write the book, in adv- though I did, I have, and I will offer you the chapter headings of the book that lead up to the final paragraph. I'm going to start today for the first time ever with the final paragraph. Well, when I say start, I mean a- after using the first segment to build up to it. Uh, and and uh, in a moment, I'll come back. And I'll give you what I regard as the bottom line as of this moment. I'll give you what I regard. I'll I'll offer you, for what it's worth, I'll offer you the sum total, single most direct, net, 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 significant assessment and prognosis of this election that... I have thus far offered for what you may regard it worth. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's. I mean, it's not going to sell your home. I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is the Jay Severin Show. Partners, 1-888-900-3393. Now, I probably, I mean, given the set of reasons that could explain Joseph's call, 
Joseph from Orlando is calling. Welcome, Joseph. And I have apparently, I'm guessing, said something. It could be something that, that Joseph, uh, you know, has a bee in his bonnet about something else or something I said a week ago or a year ago or yesterday. But I'm guessing it's something I may have said today or a thought that's occurred to Joseph in the last 22 minutes. But Joseph, rather than give you this big, I've made this big buildup about my prognosis, my campaign prognosis, I'm going to go on instinct and take, welcome your call and contribution now before I give it, rather than after. Welcome. Thank you, Jay. Uh, I'm glad to be a special guest on your show today. No, I'm just kidding. Jay, I don't know. No, no. Can you give well, me some insight on who, who, who picks out Hillary Clinton's clothes? She's looking a lot like Stalin's housekeeper. <laughs> I that's a I think that's a heavy influence in her uh, couture. I, I would guess that Omar the tent maker is probably the manufacturer. Oh, okay. Thank you. I uh, I needed some clarification on that. Jim, well, I mean, if I you're if you're going to cover that much area with fabric, you need to either be a tent maker. Uh, you know, someone who provides the big top for the circus, uh, or uh, it seems to me you might be responsible for covering the infield uh, or the entire football field at a an NFL stadium in in the case of inclement weather. But you need that kind yeah. of experience to cover that kind of territory. Yeah, and it's probably waterproof. It's probably scotch guarded in case it rains, like you said, waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay. Jay, I gotta maintain what I said a year ago when I called you, uh, more like eight months ago. The the people, the groups, the minorities in this country who vote in force in general elections. Unfortunately, if Ted Bundy was running for the Democratic ticket, I'm afraid they would vote for it, and it's an indictment Correcto. on the American people. Correct. Um, and and yesterday, right. I don't know if you heard this or you are otherwise aware of it, but I. I offered two facts uh, which I had heard on national news in the last 24 hours which absolutely stunned me and I think led me to my uh, offer of a prognosis today and that is of all voters who will vote in 88 days one out of three will be a person of color well there you go so they're sitting by their mailboxes because from what I'm hearing statistically I guess, what, three out of five or six people are waiting by their mailbox for some sort of governmental check uh, Monday through Saturday. And I don't think they're going to vote for a rich white billionaire who plans on shutting it all down, because I, I believe Mr. Trump said he was going to shut it all down the waste in the second or third debate. So uh, um, uh, I guess they're voting for free things. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. They know she's a congenital pathological liar, and and but they're willing to put... That person, the highest office in the land, knowing that she's a congenital liar. Um, so I, I don't even consider her the problem. I'm scratching my head is, where is in the integrity of the American people that they're willing to do that? This is not um, um, a, a managerial position at McDonald's, the highest office in the land. Where is the integrity of the American people? Donald Trump, if you're listening, and Jay, he probably is listening to you because I know he likes your show. If you're listening, 
Go ahead and ridicule the American people. They deserve it. Man, that is terribly well said. I mean, I should say tremendously well said. I don't have a lot to add to that. In fact, at this instant, I don't have anything to add to it. I would not modify, but merely amplify something you've said by pointing out something that you uh, sportingly made only a passing uh, reference to. And that is, today, Joseph, we learn there is yet another new major criminal enterprise connected with Clinton, uh, which is her... Yes, with the foundation, the Clinton, as Rush says, the the, the Clinton Cramley, uh, Family Crime Foundation. And uh, there are various new, and by that I mean within the last few days, there are various new criminal evidences that would, under other circumstances, i.e., like if we had authentic journalism, Joan, uh, or, or if we had another candidate, uh, Ibid upset would be huge and disqualifying scandals that would ought to result in the imprisonment of the person in question but you and i I know and you have forcefully stated i I believe i don't want to put words in your mouth but i believe the bottom line of all of the cumulative evidence to date and the various new criminal evidence since yesterday, uh, or go, go, go way back in history to Sunday, if you want. But the various new criminal evidence under any other circumstance would be, it's so much greater than Nixon. So much greater than well, Nixon. So much greater well, than what impeached her husband. But uh-huh. they add up in practical effect, Joseph. To what? I, I'm just afraid that she she's smart enough to just put it out there. She knows the American. Yeah, no, no question. No, I asked you a question. I, I know it's a rhetorical question, but all of these things, in practical effect, and even if there are ten more in the next ten days, in practical effect, add up to what? I I, I got you again. The great I got you moment. I, I don't know. Nothing. 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 Right, right. They no, add no, up to nothing. They add up to nothing. I agree 100%. And that's why what, I want What Trump. do they have? Joseph, if I turned on the TV tonight and had the pleasure of seeing you uh, holding a news conference and saying, I'm about to show you a video of Hillary Clinton announcing on video that she's going to strangle members of her own family uh, and then do it on video and you played the video and the video was verified validated she would still be where she is in the polls and it wouldn't have any practical effect because the people who are in the business of waiting for a check who are on the third fourth fifth generation family business of waiting for a check don't particularly care whether the uh, sender of the check is tainted they don't care who the sender of the check is they don't care about any of the surrounding circumstances joseph 
They just wait for the check. I'm so glad you said it because you're the only one that I've heard it from, and it is the pebble in the shoe. Waiting for that entitlement check. It's the pebble in the shoe going back way, way back to Aristotle's days. Now, uh, Plato, whoever said it. Um, but, but, but it's disturbing. Nevertheless, it's disturbing. Where's the integrity of these people? If I was yeah. Trump, I'd look in the Joseph, forgive me. I, I am in the hard satellite countdown. I must thank you and leave you and say thank you. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. My partners, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I have, in the next minutes, hours, and days, some profundities to share with you. I'd like, I'd like to think that maybe you're thinking, well, so what else is new? I know that's an immodest thing to say if I meant it, but. I really did mean it. I think we discussed certain profundities here that underlie the headlines. Joseph, and thank you, Joseph, for a great contribution. Joseph mentioned the culture of welfare in this country. uh, Parenthetically, I have offered you a prognosis of the election. The most straightforward, simple, direct, definitive prognosis of this campaign that I have offered. And you shall have it uh, during this segment of the show. And as soon as possible. (coughs) Pardon me. But Joseph's call inspires me to offer a postscript to that call. Joseph mentioned the welfare mentality. And I was listening to him and I thought, as so often I've thought, and who are you doing a favor? Who are you doing a favor when you tell a child or children or tens of millions of them over generations that your government, your culture says to you, oh, you? Oh, well, you, you get a check. Your fellow citizens are robbed of the fruits of their labor to give to you. People who work are stolen from their lives, their opportunities, their children's possibilities are diminished because the fruits of their labor, which is the quintessence of freedom, the quintessence of freedom is what you earn. 
What you earn is what makes you a human being. It's what makes you a citizen. It's what makes you a person. The value of your labor, your contribution. People who contribute are being systematically stolen from to support, not in emergency circumstances, not people hit by a flood or an earthquake or a hurricane. There are people in their fifth generation of doing nothing for a living. Who do you think that helps? Do you think it helps them? I mean, if you if you are in need, you know, at this moment, then need is need. We don't let people starve. That's great. It is great. We are great for that reason. We don't let people starve. We don't let we don't kick the sick or the hungry to the curb. It's true they don't get the same uh, steak or lobster that that some people may get. It's true they don't get the the best doctors because they have to go to the emergency room. But sorry, all of that's understandable. If you have no money and you're in need, though. You don't die here like you do in India or about 99% of the planet Earth. In America, you are cared for. In America, everyone has a doctor because no one by law can be turned away from the emergency room. And the emergency room is not staffed by people who went to close cover before striking university. Relatively speaking, yes, they did. They went to the crappiest medical schools. They went to the crappiest colleges. Yes, that's true. And do I want my family, my family's eyeball operated on by someone who went to crap you and to crap medical school? No, I don't. But in a worst case circumstance, please remember these words. In a worst case circumstance, Nobody's kicked to the curb if you're American. As a matter of fact, even if you're in America, you don't have to be American. You just have to be in America. You can be illegal as the day is long. You can be as criminal as sunrise. But you still have a doctor. And you know what else? You still have a lawyer. Imagine that. Try that on for size around the world. In India, the lowest caste person, were they in America, would have a doctor and a lawyer and food and housing. Period. For free. For life. And in cases of great uh, need, uh, extant circumstances, of course we do that for people. And of course, as Americans, we must. We do, and we ought to be tremendously aware and proud of it. And we ought not ever make anyone who is a beneficiary of that American, that inbred American kindness, ever feel like a second-class citizen. Unless, of course, they're illegal immigrants, in which case they're not second-class citizens. They're not citizens. 
It's even worse. But even so, if you're in America, you eat, you have legal representation, you have a roof over your head. If you want one, uh, you get money from your fellow citizens. But as for providing this, irrespective of an emergency, you, you remember we used to call this relief. When government support first started, it was called relief. And rhetorically, that captured the real essence of what it was. It was relief. Because the word itself implicitly says it's a reaction to an unexpected temporary circumstance. You are suddenly unemployed. The paint factory where you work blew up last night or for some other reason you are uh, we presume temporarily unable to provide for your family you get relief you're hungry you get relief you need legal representation you get relief you need medical care you get relief and then over time we changed relief to welfare all of a sudden the edge of the definition of relief softened and relief didn't so much suggest anymore it's relief to a you know a, a, a an emergency temporary circumstance it changed from relief to welfare and it all of a sudden gained a certain air of permanence welfare people used to well thank god they can get relief even the verbs and prepositions changed. Thank God, at least they can get relief. And a generation later, it was no longer get relief. It was, well, thank God, they're on welfare. What does on welfare sound like to you? Does it sound different than get relief? It does to me. It does to me. On welfare sounds different to me than than get relief. On welfare has an air of permanence, of establishmentarianism about it. Like, it's there, it's always going to be there, someone's on welfare. And you see, even that was not enough for the socialists. Yes, socialists. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President of the United States, was a bleeding socialist. Absolutely a socialist. And virtually all Democrats in federal office since FDR have been. Name one that isn't. Do me a favor. Name me a president, uh, name me a Democrat holding federal office since FDR who is not essentially by virtue of their values and policies, votes, and view of government, a socialist. They're socialists. You know what? It's a point of view. I'm not here today to take your time to defeat socialism, though I would love to. I'm just here to observe along with you that socialism is the bedrock of everything that contemporary Democrats see, do, believe, and impose on us. And one of those is now on welfare. But you know what? It ain't on welfare anymore. 
Now it's, who knows, show of hands. Who knows? What's on welfare become? It's become entitlement programs. Entitlement! Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. With my partners, and look, I know this sounds rather like a big tease, and I promise you, you know me, it ain't. I, I intended half an hour ago to, get, it's, it's to give you my definitive reading, prognosis, prediction of this election as of today. And I will, but you know what? It ain't going to happen until the beginning of the next hour. And those of you who are partners understand that the development of ideas as they have occurred required development. And I can't just blurt it out and not have time to talk about it. So uh, top of the next hour, I'm going to give you the fish. Special. Fish special. Give you my prognosis for what it's worth. Right now, I want to continue with this. It all stems from Joseph's call and something we've long been wrestling with and thinking about. This whole thing about welfare. Now, I stopped with saying, you know, relief became welfare, became entitlements. That was the profound jump. When relief became welfare, there was a subtle change, but still a very real one. When welfare became entitlement, that was the end. That was the end. Or the beginning, if you like. Because entitlement means something very, very, very different than relief. Relief is emergency aid voluntarily given to people who are destitute owing to extant circumstances of tragedy, catastrophe. Entitlement? Entitlement. Entitlement. I am entitled... To a portion of your income. Now people not only get the money and more of it than ever before, but permanently, and there's no reason they feel they ever have to make an excuse for it because they're entitled. It's entitlement. They're entitled to part of what you earn. I don't want to spend too much time because I have a bigger point to make. Did you see last night the first African-American ever to receive a gold medal in swimming? Did you see the tears stream down her cheeks when they played our national anthem? Welfare didn't do that. Work ethic did that. Work ethic did that. That girl is not African-American. Well, she is African-American, but she ain't black. She's gold. Imagine what that takes. Imagine what that took. It wasn't the kind of culture and esteem that derives from a culture of victimization and dependence. Imagine, imagine the nature and magnitude of sacrifice, work ethic, commitment to excellence, where your skin does not change the clock. You either win or you don't. 
someone swims faster or they don't. You know, that it took this to win years and years and years of work ethic, of hard work, of sacrifice. Our first African-American ever to win Olympic swimming gold. And that is profoundly noteworthy because African-Americans, as you know, are not noted for their exploits and their extraordinary skills in that particular arena uh, of swimming. Otherwise, it wouldn't have taken this long for us to have our first black champion. This took work, sacrifice, guts, moxie, heroism. This did not come. I don't know her family's background, but I'm guessing that this young woman whose, whose tears ran very American, very gold, not black, not white, not yellow, not green. Those tears ran very gold last night. They ran very red, white, and blue. And I have a feeling that they happened as the end result of an awful lot of work ethic and sacrifice that is the opposite of what happens if you're a fifth generation of family business, which business is getting a check from your fellow citizens. No, I don't think so. And we salute her. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, I have offered you my best judgment, observations, analyses. What I have not uh, proffered in, I don't know, several months is where I think this is all going. Uh, because I'm not sure I had a sense of where it was all going. I now, over the course of the last few days settled in on me that I have a hardened sense of where this is going, which I'm about to share with you, my friends, my radio family, my partners, Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest. That's you. I am Jay Severin. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Pardon me. And I have a feeling that some of us may call in a moment or so. 1-888-900-3393. Uh, Nota bene, I am still without Twitter. I cannot see it. I do not see it. I cannot read it. I do not receive it. Uh, Obviously, thus, I cannot respond. I'm blind. I'm Twitter blind for the last 48 hours. I hope that changes. The moment it does, you will see a tweet from me. And uh, I look forward to that. Now, uh, one other note. I just want to stick this in. The picture, the moment 
of that young black girl on the podium last night with an Olympic gold medal for swimming around her neck, that young African-American girl who wept as the national anthem of the United States of America, a country that once enslaved her people and sold them like goats. They were chattel. They were slaves. They were owned like property and deprived of every fundamental civil right there is, which starts with freedom. And though it seems very, very long ago to those of us deprived of a solid teaching of history by our defunct public school system, in historical terms, it was the blink of an eye. And for anyone who lacks a model of analysis, a matrix, when I sat in freshman orientation, freshman year of college, I looked around and there were like three black people in the auditorium for which there are only two explanations. One, they were deprived of all of the rights of passage, development, achievement. Why weren't their fathers doctors, lawyers, architects, businessmen like mine was? Why were there so few people of color in that room? Why? There are two explanations. One is that they were owned and traded and sold like a pair of shoes and enslaved and deprived of every natural civil right there is. And what we were seeing there in my freshman orientation was the inevitable product of systemic racism. The second explanation is is, is a racist one. It had nothing to do with any of those things. They just can't do it. Their parents and grandparents weren't architects and lawyers and doctors because, you know, black people can't do that stuff. Take your choice. Now, I just want to say that that young woman on that stand last night at the Olympics, tears rolling down her cheeks at the sound of our national anthem, which she obviously regards as hers and damned well ought to, along with the rest of us. That shot, that moment, that moment last night did more, in my opinion, for honest race relations in the United States of America. It did more for race relations in America. That moment, that shot on television is seared into the memories of not only African Americans, but everybody Americans. I know not everybody watched it, but that moment 
meant more, was more significant, and had more of an impact, in my opinion, on American race relations than the election of Barack Obama even remotely had. Even remotely. All of this shite we heard about, oh, you know, we're going to elect Obama, it's going to heal everything, it's going to show people that we're brothers and sisters and everything's fine and all this. It did the opposite. Race relations have never been worse. I, 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 I mean, there were no race relations pretty much until the era of my birth. It was sort of post-slavery America. Up until like the 19, what, 60s, 70s? And then we started thinking in terms of race relations. They have never been, other than slavery, other than that, that, that the twilight period between the end of slavery and the beginning of authentic civil rights in the 1970s. Since then, there has never been a worse time for race relations in this country and asked to argue is there any geez that's a kind of a dismal outlook jay is there anything that's happened is there anything that you could point to that may be indicative of a trend or a sentiment in modern america in contemporary america and again i at the risk of reading too much into it i just feel that moment that picture of that young black woman crying during the playing of our, our national anthem did so much and coincidentally did so much more than all this manure that was spread about the good that Obama would do. You may or may not agree. I, I I wanted to mention it. Uh, I owe you a prediction of this election. It's next. This is Jay Severin, Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network. Partners, it may be, uh, 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 maybe not an odd time, but it's here it is. It's 419 and uh, 56 on a uh, broadcast Friday, Friday edition. And uh, here it is, the election, a preface. The FBI today formally recommended... And it stopped me if you've heard this before, because I know it seems like you have. But no, this is a news story. Today, Friday, the FBI formally recommended an investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice of new alleged crimes by the Clinton Foundation based on hard evidence that various felonious crimes 
have been committed by the Clintons and and through their foundation with evidence. Obama's Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, has rejected it, declining to even investigate. Not merely declining to prosecute, declining even to investigate. Plus, last night and this morning, more emails were released proving, proving Hillary Clinton has lied repeatedly. The outcome? Zero. The next president of the United States is a chronic, congenital, criminal liar and just plain criminal. A criminal outcome of such knowledge among the citizenry before the election? Zero. Zero. Doesn't matter at all that Hillary Clinton is a liar and a criminal is baked in as they say with her if you're voting for her her supporters know or they know and don't care or they're too ignorant to know and believe me that's a lot of them but either way they know and don't care or they don't care because they don't know. Hillary is a longtime criminal. If they know they don't care, they want your free stuff, period. They want open borders, period. You know those changes that you see outside your car window, outside your home window, that you see at work, that you see on the street? Do you see the diminishing of the United States of America that's happened in the last, in your lifetime, in the last 25 years? They like it. They want it. And they're voting for it. Here it is. You know my record. You know it better than anyone. You know my strengths. Theoretically, you know my weakness. As we still await evidence that there is such a thing. (laughs) But you know me. You know I know whereof I speak. At this point in the campaign, I am prepared and obliged to you to say this. Everything, and this could be the hopeful part, okay? I'm going to put in big, fat Hillary asterisk here. Everything I know, everything I know from the era of my founding, my grade school civics club and newspaper in the fifth grade through a multi-decade career of national and international politics during which I advised major political candidates across our country in most states of our country and around the world in several foreign nations plus 
my high-level engagement in print, radio, and television over 25-plus years, put it all together, and I have this to say. At this moment, my most honest, thoughtful assessment of this election is that Donald Trump is going to lose in a landslide. He's not going to lose. He's going to lose in a landslide. And parenthetically, let me say that given what I observe, I am not a medical doctor. And you may be a better amateur than I. But given what I observe of the psychology of Donald Trump, and having met him on several occasions and spoken with him, although I can't say that that was terribly formative in my opinion, it's really, I pretty much know what you know and from the same sources. My real impression of Donald Trump Uh, having met him and spoken to him in social situations is all I could tell you from that being totally candid is it's utterly consistent with the public image. I mean, there's nothing I've ever seen publicly or privately that contests with the other. There is to my knowledge, limited, very, very, very limited knowledge. There, there is no, there is no, as someone said, uh, like in that article a week ago, there is no private Donald Trump. What you see is who he is in private and in public. That, there, I am so unqualified, you know, to pass a judgment on that. All I could tell you is that's my impression. And throw out that I met him or talked to him. I, I'll just do this based on my strength as an observer of these things derivative of my political and media credentials. But I tell you that the psychology of Donald Trump, as I observe it, and again, there's the big fat asterisk. I am not a medical doctor. I am a political doctor. But based on everything I can observe and distill the psychology of Donald Trump as far as I'm concerned is such that he would sooner withdraw than lose that he of all the things he cannot tolerate is being a loser he cannot tolerate being a loser and to you and me fighting, you know, and fighting the best fight you can fight. Fight fiercely, Harvard. Fight fiercely. You fight until the fight is done. Because there is honor in the doing. There is honor in the struggle. There is honor in the doing. Honor does not come from winning. That's an extra honor. The honor is in the doing. The honor is in entering the arena having ideas, giving it your best, and in the end being proven right or wrong or attractive or unattractive, in this case, to voters. But I don't 
again, with all my limitations, I don't think Donald Trump sees it that way. I don't get the impression that Donald Trump sees honor in the struggle. I, I don't observe that Donald Trump sees honor in the doing. I think Donald Trump knows only the relatively, the comparatively cheap value of the winning. However it's done, whether or not it's deserved, just the winning. Not at all in the doing. And I really don't foreclose the possibility that Donald Trump will withdraw. Now, the Republicans, we'll talk about this after the break, the Republicans have called a come-to-Jesus meeting. They're calling it that. And the leaked purposes of that meeting is to tell Donald Trump, you're going to shut up and shape up and do what we say, or we're going to dump you and field another candidate. He just might get out. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. on the Blaze Radio Network. With my partners, uh, with whom we have the privilege of uh, conversing and hobnobbing uh, in about 10 seconds, I just want to say one 888 Yes, I believe Hillary Rotten Clinton is going to be the next president of the United States. I have as you know, always believed that. I always told you I would tell you on the day, if ever, I changed my assessment. That day has never arrived, and it could still conceivably arrive, but it hasn't. And again, I the, the hopefulness is in the fact that nobody who's in the business of politics has been able to figure out this year. To the extent anyone has, I have. And you know it. You know it to be demonstrably true. I'm proud of it. But I admit that I feel on very thin ice because everything I know at one time or another has been challenged. Everything I know about campaigns and politics has this year somehow been challenged. And I I, I, I say that, but then I need to say to you, I see no way, based on everything I've ever done, everything I know, everything I've seen, every measure, every conceivable conventional measure of how a candidate is doing and is likely to do, Trump is going to lose in a landslide unless he pulls out first. Now, I I, uh, I have a particular favorite partner who's on the line, so I want to hurry and get to him, but I just want to say... So we don't have to recover territory here. Uh, The newest polls out all this week. Trump is leading nowhere. You cannot name for me one state where Trump is leading. At least among the, you know, 
the, the states up for grabs. The newest polls show that Trump is losing outside the margin of error in all of the swing states. Ohio, Florida, Colorado, Virginia, North Carolina, New Mexico, Wisconsin, Indiana, everywhere. Losing. And Georgia and Arizona, which haven't gone Democrat since the election of the first ever elected president of the United States and bastard to be impeached, Bill Clinton, like Georgia and Arizona, have now gone from Republican locks to leaning Democrat. In fact, as I say, the biggest story attendant to the Trump campaign as of this afternoon is the rumor that the Republicans are going to dump him and put up another candidate in his place, which will either give him an excuse to say, all right, F you, I'm I'm leaving, you don't want me, it's not worth it, I have better things to do, which he's already said, uh, or make him fight back stronger and, you know, we just guarantee, absolutely guarantee by splitting the vote, uh, Clinton's election. But I'll finish by saying, if ever I have the sense that Hillary Clinton is not going to be the next president of the United States, I'll let you know. Today I'm saying the opposite. I wish to welcome, in a fairly rare opportunity, uh, given his schedule and inclinations, Sir Abby Normal to the program. Welcome, my friend and partner. Sir Abby Normal. You like the ring of that? Yes, I like the the (laughs) Civic Circus Maximus. Ask me the questions, bridge keeper. I'm not afraid. Um, (laughs) You know what? Jay, I love your show so much. I get so much out of it. Um, and there's a, I'm going through a whole flood of emotions. You like the, that guy? Abs, in the I get so much out of you. Believe me. Yeah, that guy in the first hour was so fantastic, and he touched on something. And you and I have spoke of this before with um, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump, you know, when he was in and he was talking. Um, coming through up through the primaries, he had a way of connecting with the working people. Okay, I'm watching this guy on TV last night, me and my wife, and my wife was so bored to tears. She said, you know what, let's turn on the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, playing a preseason game. I went went from a Donald. Yeah, I'm serious. And because the guy was saying the same stuff over and over and over. And he looked tired and he looked haggard. And, um, you know, Abs, you know what one of the problems is? American culture. American culture cannot tolerate its own attention span. And the novelty of Donald, it used to be that people, and exactly like, I think you and your Mrs. Abs are probably a really good example. You would tune in to Trump just for the entertainment quotient, right? Just for the novelty of it. Yeah, well, not so much for me. I kind of want to hear some things. You know? Right, but, right. But I mean, generally speaking, a lot of people would tune in and it would be novel and entertaining. But now we feel like we've heard everything he has to say. And the people who are going to vote for someone who, you know, is angry, justifiably, I guess. And, ha- you know, and all these things he says about Hillary and the Democrats are true. But somehow 
I think we're full. I think it's like a love affair after the first few years. Yeah, well, you know something? You said something very profound. It's really been sticking with me a lot lately, and it. And I keep playing the tape over and over in my head is that, you know what, when you talked about London, look at, I'm looking at the United States as if it only exists in history books. Because the country that I know, and especially with what's going on right now, is, uh, I, I don't see it coming back. And, and I'm really sad about it. To the point where yeah, I'm almost I, in tears at times. When, it, when, it, when, it, when, when the whole weight of what it means to be an American and what it meant uh, for me personally over the, the 400 years that my people have been in this country and the wars that uh, my relatives have fought and all of that, just to throw it away on somebody who is just, you know what, it's okay. She can do whatever she wants. You know, you know she, she can violate the Espionage Act. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Emails, nah, who cares? You know, but that Trump, you know, watch him because he's just a nut. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I just, I, 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 I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say anymore. Abs, you know what's the worst of it? it? You know what's the worst of it, my friend? What's the worst? If, I think the worst of, in my opinion, uh, the worst of it is if Hillary Clinton were as pure as Caesar's wife, if there was never, if you can imagine, I know it's difficult, but if we could for a moment imagine that Hillary Clinton was not a criminal and not a proven liar, if we could pretend for a moment that Hillary Clinton was only what she is politically, that she believes what she believes, and there is no shadow, uh, no cloud over her of chronic criminality and deception. Even then, it would be horrible, a horrible fate for the United States to elect someone who harbors Hillary Clinton's political views. Just that would be horrible. Well, the whole thing's horrible. And you know what? This is why I listen to your show. I am a talk radio person. I've been, I was listening to talk radio BL before Limbaugh, okay? And I'm not a <laughs> Me I'm too. My, I'm in my mid-50s, okay? And um, there are two, two, my, two of my favorite talk show hosts, and you're one of them. And the other one's Mark is Mark Levin, and oh, I get something you. completely different out of your show than I get out of anybody else. And what I get out of what I get out of your show is I get a level of expertise around political matters, but I also get a, I get a feeling from you that you're a real person. Okay, and you, you. you said it again today when you took that first call. You talked about. You know, I have an instinct, and boom, you hit that instinct, and, and the guy that spoke knocked it out of the park, and that's what this is about for me. This, I, I, don't, uh, I don't sit here and waste my time listening to talk radio all day long. I'm usually, you know, I've got, I'm listening to my radio while I'm working, I'm doing, and I'm, you know, rather than do something Abs, mindless, I'm doing I, the I same thing. My, that's how I got, that's I how I got into the business. Stimulated. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I do it. But what my I bumper sticker. Show, yes. Go ahead. I know Go your ahead. bumper sticker. But what I get from your show... No, no, is, that's political. My bumper sticker for right. a radio is laugh and learn. And it, yeah. for me to listen to someone on the radio, uh, f- uh, anyone I've ever liked and listened to, made a habit of listening to, made me laugh and 
or learn. One would be sufficient, but both are, seems to me, the distilled combination, which is the secret. And I would just be real quick, uh, I want to ask you before we have to break, before Rush, who did you listen to? Uh, Jerry Williams in Boston. Sure. I know I actually came after Jerry at a station. Yeah. Uh, he in, was at in, RKO Boston. in Boston. I followed him. And I listened Tough to that to to for years. Yeah, he was good. Anybody I mean, else I you can recall? Really um, you know, I've listened to everybody. I mean, I, I listen to, uh, I like Levin. I, I always listened. I started listening to Rush when he came on. And, you know, he, he was in a quiet taste. Took me a little while to get going. Um, Mark Levin, right. when I found him, but that guy's just off the chain. He's bright. Uh, he's great. Knows his I stuff. was just he curious. <clears throat> I used to listen to Barry Farber out of New York. His was the first radio yeah. show on which I ever appeared as a guest, um, which is a funny story I've told before. I'll tell it again someday. Um, Barry Farber invited me as a guest, and I was nervous as a cat at the top of the telephone pole. Uh, and this goes way, way back. Barry Farber, he has a, a deep southern accent, a real gentleman, very smart guy. And uh, he was syndicated, so I'd hear him late at night uh, via WOR New York. And then, of course, Bob Grant in New York. He's the one who really, he was the pre-Rush Rush, in a way. Yeah. Abs, yeah. I've got to well, go because you know of the what? clock, which you probably thing? know. Right. Abs, I'm Can sorry, because of the clock, which you know, I have to go. I want to thank you for everything and hope we have a chance to talk again soon, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, partners. Uh, I just very quickly in, in passing here on one of the monitors, I see someone being arrested by TSA. They <clears throat> set off an alarm, and the TSA officers approached them and uh, you know needed to check something, and they like knocked their hands away and pushed them. They were belligerent, physically belligerent. Whereupon the TSA agents, and I'm not big fans of TSA agents, but whereupon the physical belligerence and resistance, the TSA attempted to restrain them, and they went out of their minds. They, like, rolled to the ground and, like, bite, kick, roll around, kick, punch the TSA. What? It's like, like, what is this? This is not what you do. If duly authorized law enforcement personnel, even if it's TSA, you just you don't like all of a sudden push them and punch them and bite them and kick them. And then now now the big complaint is, oh, look, they put handcuffs on her. And it was a well, barely uh, a she. And I'm looking at this. Who acts this way? Of course, you this is they put cuffs on her. In the old days, they would have clubbed her. Are you kidding me? I would have clubbed her. 
I'm not sure that would have made any difference. I don't think they make clubs that big. Matt from Kansas, thank you for your patience. You are welcome. May I address the court, sir? You may. Step forward and be heard. I have an argument in regards to the first caller's statements. Sure. You also have a minute and a half, uh, and I hope you'll call and continue on Monday, but it's yours for now. Well, that, my argument is the people that are on those programs milking and sucking off the hind teat do actually enjoy and like what they are doing and would praise if Hillary Clinton gets office for several reasons, one of which is she's a criminal. She is. And by programs, of course, you mean federal assistance, free money. Correct, sir. Sitting at home, sucking on the hind teat, collecting a check, all the while probably committing their own criminal acts, they would then praise a criminal for getting into the highest office. The statistics support that uh, contention, yes. That is my argument, sir. Not that I well, disagree you know what? with what he said. Let's elevate your argument uh, because it, it, and I suppose this is something of a presumption formally, but yours is not an argument. It's an observation. It's an astute observation of fact <laughs> because Roger there that. are some things that are inarguable. And when a contention is demonstrable by all available sense from common to recorded uh, sense and statistics and records it's no longer an argument it's an observation and so uh yours deserves elevation thank you sir matt thank you i'm sorry we have uh run out of time on uh, this broadcast week i enjoy appreciate every single day and i uh, i tried my best so that you will too sorry about the bad news about Trump on the Blaze Radio Network.